Number one, I want to talk to you about the superiority of Christ. Christ is superior to everything else and everybody else. If you believe it, say amen. Not only do I want you to see the superiority of Christ, but I also want you to see the situation of the church. The situation of this church does certainly speak to us right here this morning. And then I want us to see, now last but certainly not least, we've got to get a hold of this, the statement Jesus makes to his church here in Revelation chapter number 3. So number one, the superior nature of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus is superior to everything else and everybody else? Well, he gives us three reasons why that's true, starting in verse number 7. He says, first of all, these things saith he that is holy. Amen. Jesus is completely, perfectly holy. He's holy in his character. He's holy in his works. He's holy in his actions. He's holy in his purpose. He's completely and totally holy. Now, when I think about holy, I'm going to be honest with you folks, it's very hard for me to fully understand and define what holy is. The only one who can say they have the attribute of perfect holiness is God himself. And that's the claim that Jesus is making right here for Jesus is God. Can you say amen? Now, now you need to understand though, we do know holy to mean that they are that Jesus is righteous in all his actions or he does what's right according to his standard. And really, you got to understand the only standard that matters is his for he created the heavens and the earth. Can you say amen to that? So if you want a different standard than the word of God, the truth of what God has given us, you're going to have to create your own heavens and earth if you're going to get that. His standard is what matters. And he does everything right according to his standard. Not only does he operate in righteousness, but he also operates in justice. What do I mean when I say justice? I mean he does what's right in every situation. He does what's right um, at every turn. None of us can say that. We don't have the wisdom that God has in fullness. And so none of us always makes the right just decision um, in every situation. I've certainly found that to be true in my life as a parent and as a child. As a parent, it's hard for me to sometimes make the just, um, um, somebody help me, decision, the just decision in dealing with my kids because uh, there's so many factors that go into it. But God is just in all ways. He's righteous in all ways. He is holy. We know that, but holiness goes much deeper than that. One of my favorite pictures that God paints for us right from the pages of Scripture comes from Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 1, the Bible teaches that Isaiah was given by God a vision of God's throne room. And he says, he looked into the throne room of God, and there was the Lord seated on a throne. And the Bible says in Isaiah 6 and 1, he was high and he was lifted up. Amen. Do you see that? The year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now what does that mean? That just means that Jesus, the Lord, is in a class all by himself. How many of you know in relationship to regular things, Jesus is high? But in relationship to high things, he's lifted up. Can you say amen? There's no one beside him. There's no one above him. There's no one like him. He is in a class all by himself. Now look what else happens. Then the Bible says in verse number two, watch this. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain or two he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Then it tells us in verse number three, and one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, 
holy. Now, for us to get really get the meaning in that, for us to get what that is actually saying, I know a little bit about the Jewish language. How many of you know, if I wanted to say in my English tongue, if I wanted to tell you someone is holy, well, I'd just say they're holy. If I wanted to say that someone is more holy than those who are holy, I would say they're holier. But if I wanted to say one is most holy, I would say they are the holiest. Amen? In the Jewish tongue, they can't say it like that. Really what Isaiah is speaking, he's saying that Jesus is the one that's in a class all by himself. He is the holiest. Listen to me now. You need to understand he's holy, holy, holy. And because he is God and he is holy, he has commanded us to be holy just as he is. Does that mess with you a little bit? Because it does me. When I think about that, I see how much growing room I've got. Do you know you've got growing room too? No, I know there's some that think they've already arrived. I've been around them. They'll bless your heart. I know there's some that thinks they've done everything they need to do in the kingdom of God and they're right where they need to be. They're really a joy to be around, them, those type people. But most of us realize that we still got some growing room. The Bible actually says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15, Jesus makes it plain. He says that we, just as he is holy, we are to be holy. It's not 2 Peter, but 1 Peter, brother. Put that on the screen for me. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse number 14. Watch how Peter says it here. Man, I love this. This is so good. This will help you if you'll take it and apply it to your lives. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. In your ignorance, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation in your lifestyle. We ought to be perfectly purposing every day to become more and more and more like Jesus. Have we arrived? No. Will we ever be perfectly holy like Jesus this side of heaven? No. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be our purpose each and every day. We'll never be perfect, but we should perfectly purpose daily to become more like Christ. If you believe it, say amen. He has commanded us to be holy, to be like him. That's a powerful thing. Not only has he commanded us to do so, but he's given us the power to go grow. The power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us a person to come alongside and help us. Become like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's how God works in our lives. So Jesus said, first of all, I'm holy. Now, then he says in Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9 that he is true. <laughs> I love how he puts that. Watch. Revelation 3 verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. But or Excuse me. Look at verse 7, brother. Not, not verse 9. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith unto he that is holy, and he that is true. If you believe Jesus is true, say amen. What does this mean? In Philadelphia, it was called Little Athens. And it was called Little Athens in that day because it had just about as many temples to pagan gods, little g, as they did in Athens, Greece. And Athens, Greece was known for their pagan worship. Philadelphia had a lot of that as well. It was all over the ancient world. And so really what Jesus is saying unto this church and saying unto us right here this morning that he is not a manufactured God 
or a false idol that someone has set up to worship, but he is the authentic God. He's the one true God. He is the creator of heavens and earth. How many of you understand this morning, Jesus didn't just become God as a baby in Bethlehem, but has always been God since before the beginning. He is God incarnate in the flesh. You need to understand and know today, folks, listen to me. He is in a class all by himself. He is the one true God. Let me tell you something. I read on the pages of Scripture and the Bible tells me who Jesus is and what he did. Let's think about what he did. How many of you know that Jesus is the only one who can speak to the stormy sea and cause it to be calm because he created the wind that was causing the waves? Jesus is the only one who can walk on water, for he's the one who created the water that he's walking on. Jesus is the only one who can heal blinded eyes, heal deaf ears, cast out demonic spirits, simply because he has the authority to do so. He has the authority because he is authentic. He's not a God little G, he's God big G. He's the one that holds the preeminence. He is superior. That's what he's saying to these people. And that's what he's saying to us. How many of you know, if Jesus can heal blinded eyes on the pages of Scripture, he can still heal blinded eyes today. And if Jesus can cast out demonic spirits in that day, that can still happen in his name today. How many of you know Jesus is still alive and well? He hadn't got old. He hadn't got sick. And he hadn't got wore out. He's still doing what he's always done. The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8, he is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. So what are you going through? What's too big that the one true God can't handle? What are you going through in your family? What are you going through in your finances? What are you going through at your workplace? What are you going through physically? Listen, there's nothing too big for my Jesus. He's the only one true God. That's what he's telling that church in that day. And that's what we have to realize right here this morning. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that Jesus is not who he used to be. Folks, he's exactly who he used to be. (laughs) And even right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, still high and lifted up, still holy, holy, holy. He's able to meet your need, to meet you where you are. By his grace, he can save you if you hadn't been born again. Don't you want to know this Jesus? He's my redeemer. He's my savior. He's my provider. He provides for my every need spiritually. He provides for my every need physically. He is my Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord who provides. Are you getting me? He's the author and the finisher of my faith. The Bible promises me in Philippians 1.6 that he who hath begun the good work in me will perform it under the day of redemption. He does not give up on me. And he will not give up on you. That's my Jesus. Is he yours? This morning, I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking 
if you're a good person. I'm asking, has the Holy Spirit of God ever made real to you your need for a Savior? Have you trusted fully in the finished work of Christ and asked for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you been born again into God's family? If you have not, today's the day of salvation. You need to get a hold of that. A lot of people say, well, Brother Israel, I just don't think I've, I've made it there. I've never felt that feeling that people describe. Let me tell you something. Don't think that the Holy, when the Holy Spirit convicts you that the room's going to turn upside down and lights are going to flash across the heavens. Now, that, God can do that. It's not that He can't handle it, but I'm pretty sure I can't. <laughs> you probably couldn't either. I'm just saying though, when, when God the Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart, let me tell you what He does. He makes you aware of your need for salvation. Because without His working in you, that can't happen. See, the Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we are spiritually dead apart from Christ in trespasses and sins. Let me ask you something, folks. What do dead men do? Nothing. They don't do nothing. In the last 20 years, the Lord has allowed me to preach a lot of funerals. And you know how much I figured about all dead men I've ever preached for? Or preached around? They don't do nothing. They don't do nothing. They can't do nothing. Because they're dead. Let me tell you something. You cannot even become aware of your need for a Savior in your sin except for a work of the Holy Spirit. So the moment, the moment God begins dealing with you, fall down on your face, trust in Jesus, and the same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you. Don't make this harder than it has to be. Because sometimes we do that. Jesus said it's just like walking through a door. How many know it ain't hard to walk through the door? But it takes faith. It takes faith to go through the door, but it ain't hard walking through the door. Are you getting me? He is the one true God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Oh, it's so good to know him. I'm going to tell you, if there were no heaven and there were no hell, I'd still want to know him. Now, I'm not, there is a heaven and there is a hell, but I, I just, I'd want to know him if there wasn't a heaven or there wasn't a hell, just so I could experience his presence, just so I could know him as being the friend that sticks closer than a brother, just so he could walk with me and talk with me a long, last, weary way, just so I could be used by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Do you know him? Quit playing games. Do you know him? Quit making excuses. Do you know him? Listen, trust in Jesus for it's too late. Do you know him? I can't answer that for you. Quit worrying about what everybody else is going to think and say. Who cares? They didn't die for you. What's it matter what they say? What's it matter what they think? I can promise you this. Anybody in this place that has a problem with you trusting in Jesus and being born again in the family of God, they're the one that needs to be in the altar next. Oh, Brother Israel, them people think I've been saved for years. Who cares? It's not about them. Who cares? You sit on a church pew and you've played games for so long, you don't know what's real and what's not. Listen, today, trust in Him. Do you know Him? He's the one true God. He's holy, holy, holy. He's high and lifted up. And the Bible says this.
Because he is the authentic God, he has authority. Everybody say authority. Watch. He says there, verse number 7, he has the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. What does it mean that Jesus has the key of King David? King David was the man after God's own heart, and because he was the man after God's own heart, God said the throne will never leave David's lineage. It will be through David's lineage that somebody will always be on the throne. Well, how many of you know Jesus was born of the house and lineage of David? Amen? You would tell you why? Because he is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He's the one who will sit on the throne forever. I wish I had more time to go into that with you this morning. I don't, but we're going to get to it in about three weeks. All right? We're going to preach on Christmas all December. So come back and listen to what we're going to say about that. But this morning, I just want you to know, to say that he has the keys of David is to say that he has authority. Authority. Now listen. It makes sense if he has authority, he has some keys. Just the other day, I was at my workplace, the, uh, the sign building. I'm the sign man and don't have keys to the building. I don't understand that. I guess I don't have much authority. That's okay, though. That's all right. Listen to me. I had to go to my supervisor's office and say, I need the key to the sign building. And guess what? He has a big old water keys on his side. He's got keys for the sign building. He's got keys for a herbicide building. He's got keys for equipment. He's got keys for the gates. He's got keys for the offices. He's got keys for everything. Got brother and get in. Anything you want to get in. You can tell it by all them keys on his side. He has so many keys on his side, it weighs his britches down. I'm glad I don't have to carry all those keys. But I'm saying to you, listen to me now. Get a hold of this. He has the keys because he has authority. Does that make sense to you? Now listen. Jesus has the keys because he has authority. And with his authority, he can open doors that need opening and he can shut doors that need shutting. Woo! I'm telling you, man. The Lord has been dealing with my heart on this message for two weeks. And, um... I thought I'd preached it out this week. I've preached it about three times just for myself walking in this church. And I'm telling you, I just like to, I, I, I got all beside myself when I got to thinking about the authority that Jesus has. That he can open up doors that nobody else can open. Now as a pastor, I'm continually praying and thinking of ways that we might be able to show and share the love of Jesus. I'm thinking about it. I'm praying about it. Lord, how can we do this? What do we need to do over there? How is this going to happen? And I'm always wondering, how is all of this going to come together? How is this going to have to happen if this over here works? And if this over here works, that over there is going to happen. But if it don't work, this over here is going to happen. And if you don't watch yourself, I'm telling you, you'll run yourself crazy thinking about how all of that is going to come together. I am so thankful, so thankful that it's Jesus who opens the doors. And shuts the doors. Because a lot of times I'll try to open up something that don't need to be opened. And I'll try to shut something that don't need to be shut. So I'm glad he does the opening and he does the shutting. And by the opening and the shutting, he leads me in the direction he wants me to go. Amen? Yeah. He does it. Let me give you for instance. Happened right here in the church. We're talking about the church at Philadelphia. 
The church at Philadelphia had an open door, and that open door, it speaks of ministry. Just about five or six years ago, we made the decision that we were going to go to Nicaragua on a mission trip. Never forget it. Matter of fact, we, we'd done a planning um, trip down there, me and Brother Sean Dawes. We have went several different places nationally and internationally with Brother Sean and Hope Missions out of Jasper, Alabama. He's the missionary that we go with all the time. And he called me up and said, man, let's go to Nicaragua. So let's do it. And so we, we went down, met with some pastors down there, talked to them, great brothers in Jesus. Man, I love the, the pastor that I got to meet. Come home fired up because we was going to get to go that following summer. That was in January. We were going to get to go that following summer in July down on a medical mission trip. Now, between January and July, they had some political unrest. When I'm talking about political unrest, I'm talking about an overthrow of their government. Amen? And it was pretty serious business. Had uh, fighting in the streets, shut Nicaragua down. Nobody could go in and nobody could come out. And so all of a sudden, we're out of a place to go. God closed the door in a way that he could only close it. And so I go out, I guess that was in uh, maybe May, 1st of June. He calls me, tells me we're not going to be able to go to Nicaragua. He says, how about going to Cuba? You know what I got to thinking? People in Nicaragua need Jesus, but so do people in Cuba. Yeah, let's go to Cuba then. If we want to go to Cuba, maybe that's God opening a door for down there. So we started praying about it. Man, got all the things together, went down to Cuba. And when we got down there, we got to be a part of a fantastic work of God the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about a community being changed for the glory of God by his people. Met some of the most powerful men and women of God that I've ever been around in my life. I was telling someone just the other day, a lot of times as Americans, we can be very arrogant. A lot of times as Baptists, we can be very arrogant. A lot of times Baptists can strut while sitting down. We think we know everything. We get it all figured out. And if we're American on top of that, oh man, we really got it figured out. And we fixed to go down to Cuba and show these people how to teach people about Jesus and how to worship Jesus and how to evangelize for Jesus. And we really going to show them something. And it didn't take me long after I got there to figure out they didn't need what I was bringing them. I needed what they already had. That's what I found out. Amazing. Made some friendships that will last a lifetime. That will last an eternity. Amen. I love it. Matter of fact, we're taking up an offering today to support Cuba after the service. Hope you've prayed about it. God's led your heart to put $5,000 in the offering plate. If he's led you that way, do it. If he's led you to put $5 in there, do it. Or 50 cents, do it. Whatever he leads you to do, do it. Amen. So anyway... Through that ministry, like I said, we met some fantastic men of God, women of God. Just love Jesus and love people. Also through that ministry, our church was able to actually buy property in Cuba for a new church plant. All of that happened because of a door Jesus shut in Nicaragua and opened in Cuba. When it comes to ministry, he opens doors no man can open, and he shuts doors no man can shut. Can you say amen? Oh, let's just keep looking for, looking for open doors. Hey, listen to me now. We don't kick doors down and tell people about Jesus. You can't do that. You've got to wait for the open door. And when God gives the open door, man, go through it. 
How about you individually? We've talked about collectively God opening doors. How about you individually? Some of you right now are worried sick that things ain't going to work out like you want to work out. I'm talking about you worried about the job you've got or the job you want or wonder if you're in the right job right now where you at. And you wonder, man, am I right where I need to be? Anybody? Some of y'all right now are worried about family situations, relationships that are so dear to you, and you don't know what you're going to do. How is this going to work out, Lord? I don't know if I'm doing what I need to do or I'm not doing what I need to do. I don't have a clue. And you're worried about it. You're wondering about it. Can you say amen? Some of y'all right now has got financial trouble and you don't know which end is up and how you're going to get out of it, and you're wondering what in the world is about to take place. Let me tell you something. Listen. Jesus opens doors no man can open and closes doors no man can close. Be obedient. Stay in the center of God's will and he will lead you. You say, Brother, how do you know that? I know it because of Psalm 23 and verse number 17. You know what the Bible says? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, what does it mean, good men, good women? What am I talking about, good men, good men? They ain't no good men or good women. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me apart from Christ. Do you know it? (laughs) Let me let you in on something. There ain't anything good in you either apart from Christ. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, there's absolutely no good thing in my flesh. The only goodness we really have is the imputed righteousness that's given to us when we place faith in Jesus. The word impute is an accounting term. It means to put on somebody's credit or put on somebody's account. The moment you trust in Jesus, the Bible says the righteousness of Christ is put on your account. Let me tell you how good Jesus is. He took your sin at the cross so that when you trust in Him, He can give you His righteousness. And now when God the Father sees me, Having placed full trust in the finished work of Christ, he no longer sees me as a lost sinner condemned to a devil's hell. Now he sees me as the righteousness of his precious son. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Aren't you glad God will lead you? God can lead you. God promises to lead you. If you'll be obedient, stay in the center of his will. Keep trusting him. Keep looking to him. You need to see, folks, the superiority of Jesus. He's superior in every way. He's high and lifted up. And I also got to see the situation of this church. And what is the situation? Well, look, look with me what the Bible says. Real quickly, we'll be done. Revelation 3, verse number 8. I know thy works. He said, I know what you're doing and what you're not doing. Just like he knows what we're doing and what we're not doing. Just like he knows what we're doing and what we're not doing. He knows us. Watch. I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength has kept my word. That's so good. If there's one church, the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation that I want to be a part of, it's the church at Philadelphia. For a lot of reasons. Number one, we've got to ask ourselves, why did Jesus open the door? Why does he open the door? Because he knows their works. Isn't that what it said? I know your works. Behold, therefore, I have set before thee an open door. So what is their works? I'll tell you, they are a loving church, 
And they're a faithful church. You say, brother, how do you know they're a loving church? Their name? Names mean a whole lot in the Word of God. And the word Philadelphia actually means brotherly love. I remember on my senior trip years ago, I was going on a bus into Philadelphia. And we went under this big sign on the interstate. And above on that sign, as we passed under, it said, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Same word. This was a loving church. Now, how many of you understand God the Father has taught us how to love? 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 19. Brother, put it on the screen for me. 1 John 4, 19. Watch what the Bible tells us. Look. We love him because he first loved us. How does God the Father teach us how to love? He taught us by his example. So what's his example? Go back to verse number 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Watch verse number 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Let me tell you what I found out. Some of the meanest, most cantankerous, hateful people that I've ever been around in my life sit on church pews. Mean as a dang rattlesnake. They are. Hateful. You know what the Bible says? I don't care how much you sit on a church pew. If you don't love people, you ain't of God. I don't care how much you preach in the, in the pulpit. I don't care how much you teach in the Sunday school class. I don't care how much you sing on the stage. I don't, if you don't love people, you don't know God. It's not about how many scriptures you can quote. That's good. That's all well and, well and dandy. That's good to know the Word of God. But are you living the Word of God? It's good to hear it. It's good to apply it, though. You've you got you to gotta hear it, memorize it, yes, but then apply it. Are, are you doing the things that God wants you to do? Are you loving people? Are you? He says if you don't love people, are, are you hateful? Are you mean-spirited? Are you vindictive? Are you a backbiter? Are you a gossip? Because that's not loving, folks. You understand me? He who does not love knows not God. For what? God is love. You see it? God has shown us how to love. Look at verse number 9. Watch. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God says, I'll show you how to love. If you're going to love, you've got to sacrifice. Can't always be about you. You got to put others' needs before your needs. That's what Philadelphia was doing. He said, I know your works. You're loving people, and because you're loving people, I'm fixing to open you up a door. Amen? Are you loving people? Are you? you some of you sitting here right now, boy, I thought, I wish old brother so and so was in this service. No, what about you? It's for you. It's for me. Are we loving people? It's one thing to pray on Sunday in a church house, but are you loving on Monday at your house? It's one thing to preach the message, but am I living out what I'm preaching at my workplace? It's one thing to sing praise. Am I showing a life of worship at the schoolhouse just like I'm at the church house? Are you getting what I'm saying? Do you love people? God told us how to love. Jesus told us we should love. 
John 13, 34, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you come to church every Sunday and sit on the front pew. Is that what he said? If you read your Sunday school lesson every week and get your 15 year Sunday school in, is that what he said? If you help little old ladies across the street every day, they'll know you're my disciples. Is that what he said? Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But he said, if you really want the world to know that you are my disciples, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Do you love people? God told us, taught us how to. Jesus told us that we should. The Holy Spirit enables us to do so. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5. Check this verse out. I love this. Romans 5 verse number 5. Watch what it says. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Let me tell you why, how I knew the Lord changed my heart. When I got serious with Jesus and he really got serious with me, when it was real, let me tell you how I knew it. I started loving people I shouldn't be loving. I started loving people, man, that I'd been mad at. I'm talking about held grudges against, hated. I, I, I couldn't hate them anymore. I, I, there's, it just wasn't in me. You know? And I found myself caring about them, caring for them. Let me tell you why. Because that old stony dead heart that was ravaged and filthy by sin was taken out and God gave me a new heart. A new mindset. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not by a long shot. But I can say this. God's put love in my heart and I'm thankful for it. Now if you don't have love in your heart, that means you don't have the Holy Ghost. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, that just means you need to be saved. You got me? Now, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. You need to see the situation of this church and the situation is they love people and because they love people God gave them an open door Mount Zion Baptist Church do you want to be used of Jesus do you want to see addictions broken families healed souls saved you want to wear out this baptistry so we can get another one I'll tell you how you do it love people because when you love Jesus said I'm fixing to open this door I'm fixing to use you he can do it for us too. Can he? Not only were they loving people, but they were a faithful church because he said, you've kept my word. I'm going to tell you, in the world we live in, it's harder and harder and harder on Christians to stand for the word of God. I mean, if we say we're for traditional marriage, everybody calls us bigots and, and um, misogynists and any of the other words that you can think of. And, 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 but we just say it because that's what God says. You know, God hadn't changed his standard on marriage. It's still one man, one woman. It's always been that way. It don't need correcting. It don't need redefining. You can't define something you didn't create. God created marriage, therefore he gets to define it, and he defined it as one man, one woman. So we're for traditional marriage around here. Let me tell you something else. People don't like it when you say that you're not for abortion. I don't believe it's a choice. I believe it's a child. I believe it's a child that was created in its mama's womb according to God's power. Psalm 139. Now, the world don't know that, don't see that. I believe that God created two genders. God created male and female. Genesis chapter 1 he, and 2 and 3. He created male and female. It was God that created them too. Now, why do I believe that? Because God's word says it. 
The point I'm trying to make to you, it's not going to be popular to stick with God's word, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. I'm going to keep standing for traditional marriage. We're going to keep standing for the unborn. We're going to keep standing for what God's word says is right. And we're going to speak this truth in love. Can you say amen? A loving church and a faithful church. And God said, I'm just going to open you a door. Isn't that good? Then he says something else. You need to see the folks, the situation of this church, but you've also got to see the statement Jesus made to them. And that comes in verse number 10. Watch verse number 10. He says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Now the immediate meaning of that is that he would keep them from the persecution that was happening because of the Roman government at that time. The ultimate translation of that means that he would keep them from the great tribulation that would come. See, the church at Philadelphia is a representation of not just a literal church then, but a period in church history now. I believe the period in church history that is represented by the church at Philadelphia is the period right before Jesus comes and raptures his church. And he makes the promise to that period. He says, I'm going to keep you from tribulation. Why do I believe we're living in that period? Why do I believe we are living in the Philadelphian church? Because we have all kinds of opportunity. Don't we? And Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much is required. They had the open door, the opportunity, and we do too. I believe we are the church that will be alive when Jesus raptures his church. He said, I'll keep you from the great tribulation. Let me give you something else. Look at verse number 11. Watch this. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Go back to verse number 9 and I'm done. Watch what he says. Behold, I will make them the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but, to, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. He'll take care of their enemies. God said, not only will I keep you from persecution, tribulation, but I'll take care of your enemies. Ain't that good? You ever want to take care of your enemies? I'm going to be honest. I have a problem with that. When somebody says something hurtful to me, do you want to say it back? Or is that just me? Do you struggle with the flesh sometimes? When somebody does you wrong or does your kids wrong or does your family wrong, do you want to get them back? Do you want to be vengeful? We all struggle with the flesh, don't we? Sure we do. You know what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, if I get back at my enemies, I may do it too harshly or not harsh enough. I don't know how to deal justly in every situation. But the one true God, who's holy, righteous, and just, knows what's needed in every situation, and he has promised to take care of my enemies. Isn't that good news? Just keep looking to Jesus. Keep loving people. And let him sort all that other stuff out. Everybody stand together this morning. Whatever you need today, the Lord is able. If you need to be saved today, the Lord is able. 
Today is a day of salvation. He's still in the saving business. I ask you again, do you know him? Do you know him? If not, why not today? What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? He's so good. He's so gracious. If you do know him, are you serving him like you should? Are you in the center of his will as a child of God? If not, the Bible says confess your sins and he'll forgive you of them. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Put you right back to where you need to be. Do you want to join this church? You've prayed about it and you know this is where God wants you. This altar time is for you. Whatever the Lord has spoke to your heart, please be submissive to the will of God the Holy Spirit. He's able.